0: Well, we've been studying through First Thessalonians for the last uh, few weeks, and uh, this morning, I want to give you a little bit of background. You know, the Bible is such a relational book, as well as a doctrinal book, as well as a historical book, as well as a practical book. It's a very relational book, and I just want to kind of walk through uh, a little bit of Paul's journeys to kind of give you some background for the third chapter of 1 Thessalonians today. Because if you don't really understand what I'm about to share with you, then the uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 will not make quite as much sense to you. But the Apostle Paul um, went to Antioch. He was in Antioch as uh, one of the elders, one of the teachers there at the church in Antioch. And I'll show you Go ahead and put that... Picture up. That's uh, it's not as clear, but okay, that'll do. Uh, Jerusalem right here, and Antioch way up here, three hundred miles. Man, that was before Southwest had any flights going, even Greyhound wasn't running back then. They just had to. They had to trek it on foot. Can you imagine going from Jerusalem to Antioch? And Antioch was that church. It was the first mostly gentile church and more than likely they were a little bit different well not more than likely they were a good bit different than the jerusalem church the jerusalem church made up mostly of jews very very steeped in the uh, the law and even legal traditions the church in antioch was mostly gentile non-jewish and so they uh, didn't practice a lot of the the jewish laws in fact they probably ate some ham sandwiches and things like that and uh, I bet their church dinners were a lot more exciting than the ones in Jerusalem. But uh, uh, when the church in Jerusalem heard that the church in Antioch, uh, that the Gentiles were being saved, they sent somebody to to Antioch to check it out. And I'm so grateful for who they sent. Do you know who they sent? Do you remember who they sent? They sent a man named Barnabas. Barnabas was a good choice. Because the Bible says when Barnabas got to Antioch, it doesn't say he saw a bunch of Gentiles. He didn't say that he saw a bunch of charismatics because they probably were more charismatic than the Jerusalem bunch. He didn't say, uh, it doesn't say that he saw a bunch of ham eaters or anything like that. It just says he saw the grace of God. Isn't that amazing? And uh, if they'd have sent almost anybody else, they might have seen those other things, not seen the grace of God. And so Barnabas was so excited about what God was doing there in Antioch. And he stayed on for a while. And then he went up to Tarsus, which is uh, right here. So he traveled a long way too. He went to Tarsus, and he got Paul. He's called Saul at that time. And he brought him back to Antioch. And there they stayed, and they studied, they preached, and they ministered in Antioch for a while. And then one day, uh, the Spirit of God said to them, I want you to separate Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, and I'm going to send them on a trip, a mission trip. It's the first mission trip in the Bible. And so uh, as they went on this trip, now this is the second missionary journey. I'm going to come to it in a minute. But as they went on their first missionary journey, they left Antioch, and they sailed down here to Cyprus, what made their way all the way across Cyprus, and then went up here to Perga in Pamphylia, and then they went over here to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And uh, you read all about that. That, that. That's recorded for us there in Acts chapter uh, uh, 13 and 14. But in, uh, while they were in Lystra... On that first missionary journey, they met a family, and, and, and Paul actually got almost killed in Lystra. They, uh, the, the, they rioted, and everywhere Paul went, they either had a revival or a riot, and a lot of times they had both. And in this particular case, they had a riot in Lystra, and the people dragged Paul out of the city, and they stoned him, thought they'd killed him. And they, uh, they all went back into town, and some of the believers, the disciples, that people that had believed on Jesus there in Lystra, they came and, and gathered around Saul and poked him a little bit. He woke up, and and uh, they said, Are you okay? And he said, Well, no, no, I'm okay. But he said, uh, uh, I didn't get my sermon finished. And so he went back into town, back into Lystra, and preached to the people some more, and then they did end up running him off. But while he was in Lystra, he met a woman, and he met two women. One of them was a grandmother. One was a mother of a young boy who was probably about 14 years old at the time, and his name was what? Timothy. That's right, Timothy. And uh, And they were, Paul was really taken with Timothy. And I imagine that Timothy prayed to receive Christ while Paul was there in Lystra. And then Paul and, and Barnabas make their way back home, and they're home for a little while, back in Antioch, and then they decide to go on a second missionary journey. Now, two or three years have passed, a couple of years have passed. By this time, Timothy is now maybe maybe 16, maybe 17. And so Paul... And it's not Barnabas this time. Paul and Barnabas had a little disagreement. And, and, and Paul and Silas make this trip. And so they leave Antioch. And they travel overland this time instead of going by the sea. And they go back over here. And they go to Derby, And then they go to Lystra again. And there in Lystra, Paul gets to talking to Timothy. Timothy is maybe, maybe about Matthew's age. That's yeah, he's about, about Matthew's age by this time. How old are you, 18? 19? Okay. Well, he might be a little bit younger even than Matthew, but we'll just say maybe he was, was 18 or 19. And, uh, and Paul says to Timothy, you know, I need, I need you to go with me. Because I want to disciple you. I want to teach you the things I know. I want to train you for ministry. And uh, and I think Timothy was ready to go. I believe he was saying, yes, let's go. But I imagine that Timothy's mother, uh, Ruth, what would you think? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. And if they came and said, uh, hey, you remember me, don't you? Yeah, I remember you. They nearly killed you last time you were in town here, and 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 I remember you telling us that everywhere you go you get beat up, and get thrown in jail, and that that anybody that travels with you might even get killed. And you wanting my baby boy to go with you, and uh, and so he so, said, "Well, let me ask." Let me ask his grandmother. <laughs> well, that'd be even worse, wouldn't it? If she asked, go, yeah, that's right. Ruth, Ruth would say, "Well, let, let me let me go too." But anyway, for some way or another, they let him go. Just a eighteen year old boy, and he goes with the Apostle Paul, and he and Silas and Paul they travel, and they they. They travel from here way all the way across what's today, uh, well, it's, it's Asia. And, and they come to Troas right here, and, and they don't know which way to go. And then God actually gives a vision to Paul. He sees a man from Macedonia, which is over in here, Macedonia. But he sees this man from Macedonia, and he's saying, Come over here and help us. And Paul and Timothy, and by the way, Luke joins them at this point. So Paul and Timothy and Luke and Silas, they they cross the Straits there, and they come into Asia and, uh, I mean, into Europe. They were in Asia. They come into Europe. It's the first, first preaching in Europe. And they come to a town called Philippi. Where am I? it is right there Philippi by the way Philippi this area right up here is Bulgaria so they almost got to Bulgaria in fact if you go to Bulgaria today the Bulgarians will tell you that Paul did come to Bulgaria and they even have a church there that they say started as a result of the Apostle Paul's ministry I don't know whether he did or not but he got pretty close and uh, uh, so they, they go to Philippi and what happens at Philippi? Well, right away, uh, they meet a woman, and uh, she becomes a believer. Jesus opens her heart, and the Lord saves her. Her name is Lydia. And she says, come and stay in my home, and we'll start a little church here in my home. And then they're out preaching in the streets there, and they meet a, a, a girl who's demon-possessed. and uh, And they... They cast the demons out of that woman, and it causes such a stir because the there were some men who was using this demon possessed woman to make money off of her, and once the demons were gone, uh, they couldn't use her anymore, and so that made them very mad. I tell you, you get you touch somebody's money, you're gonna make them mad, right? And uh, and so they caused a big uproar, and they ended up getting Paul and Silas arrested and thrown in jail there in Philippi. And they get beaten almost to death again. Now, I don't know what happened to Timothy. I don't know. I don't guess he run. Now, you wouldn't have run, would you, Matthew? But uh, Paul probably said, "said Timothy, you, you keep yourself safe because Eunice and Lois will kill me <clears throat> if I let anything happen to you. So he might have been more scared of these, uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother than he was of the, of the lictors there. And anyway, they beat him, put him in jail. Of course, you know the story. It's the first, first rendition of Jailhouse Rock. And uh, because the earthquake came, the whole place rocked and shook, and the door sprung open, and the Philippian jailer and his family all come to Christ. So they've started a little church there in Philippi. Wouldn't I mean, exciting? Wouldn't that be exciting? This means yes. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be exciting. And uh, and then they got run out of town from there too. And they went down to Berea, which was just south of there. Let me get down here to Berea, and then they went to Thessalonica. And there in Thessalonica, <coughs> Paul preached. He preached for three Sabbath days in the synagogue, and then the Jews run him out, and then he preached for maybe a few more weeks, a couple more weeks, before he got run completely out of town again. And uh, they got down to Berea, and Paul said to Timothy and to Silas, Timothy, I want you to stay here in Berea. And... uh, I'm going to go on down to Athens. And so Paul gets in the ship. He takes the trip from Berea down, way down here, to Athens. And there in Athens, he's all alone. By the way, this is the first time in all of Paul's journeys that he's been by himself. He always had somebody with him. But in Athens, he's all alone. And he didn't like it a bit. But he preached in Athens, had a great ministry there, and some people got saved. And then he left Athens, and he was all worried about Timothy. He's worried, where is Timothy? Because he had sent Timothy back to Thessalonica. And, and can you imagine sending an 18 or 19-year-old to go back to a city that you had been run out of and say, now, Timothy, I want you to go back there and I want you to help ground these people in the faith. I want you to teach them what I've taught you. I want you to help them understand what I've helped you understand. And you are going to be the teacher. Just Matthew's age by this time, maybe. And so Matthew goes back, or Timothy goes back to uh, this dangerous place. And he's there. And of course, they didn't have any way to communicate with one another. And Paul must have been wondering. When he left Athens, he went over to Corinth. And I think Corinth is... On the map, it's right right, in, right here. And he went to Corinth. And while he was in Corinth, starting the church there, guess who showed up? And I don't know how he found him. But Timothy and Silas showed up. And Paul was absolutely overjoyed. I would have loved to have seen that, that uh, reunion as they got together again. And so, the first thing maybe Paul said, Timothy, how you doing? How's the church in Thessalonica? And Timothy says, Paul, I've got good news for you. They they listened to me. They didn't despise me just because I was young. They heard what I had to say, and I told them this is what Paul taught me, and I taught them what you taught me, and and they love you, Paul. Paul was always afraid that he wasn't going to get any likes on Facebook because he wanted people to like him. Everybody wants to be liked to some degree, except Rick. He doesn't care, but uh, but uh. But we all like to be liked a little bit. But Paul, he knew that if people rejected him, they're probably going to reject the gospel. And that's why he wanted them to accept him because he knew he was preaching the truth. And so Timothy said, Paul, they love you. They're eager to see you. They hope you can come back. You know, they didn't get to kill you last time you are here and there's some folks in town that are real eager for you to come back. They want a second shot at you. But the believers there, they're eager for you to come back too because they want to hear more, especially about the the return of Jesus. See, they had so many questions about when Jesus is coming back. That seemed to be one of the main, main things they ask about. And so Paul writes a letter and we have the letter. And he he probably dictated it, but anyway, it's uh, the Holy Spirit inspired it. Paul dictated it, and maybe, maybe Timothy wrote it down, and he sent that letter, and, and that letter is 1 Thessalonians, and Paul wrote this letter and sent it probably by Timothy back to the Thessalonians, and we've already looked at chapters 1 and 2, And he ended chapter 2 by talking about how much he loved the Thessalonians. And then he starts in chapter 3. This is chapter 3. And we're going to read all of chapter 3. And you just read it with this information that I just gave you in mind. All of you kind of remember what I just talked about. You kind of? Okay. All right. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. He said, I, I couldn't stand it. I just was, I was so concerned about you. And I didn't know what had happened. I knew how they had treated me in Thessalonica. And, and, and I knew that you had become believers. And a man named Jason had gotten saved. And uh, he had already gotten beat up while he was there. And, and, uh, and so Paul said, I just, I couldn't stand it any longer. So I was willing to be left alone. In Athens and then so we sent Timothy our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith said so that's why we sent Timothy so that no one would be moved by these afflictions For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has come to pass. And just as you know. You know, that's uh, interesting. uh, When Jesus talked to his disciples, he told them right up front. It's going to cost you something to follow me. It's not going to be an easy road. In fact, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up a cross. You've got to follow me. And he told them they were going to suffer persecution. And by the way, every disciple, except John, died a martyr's death. That's one reason we know for a fact that the information we have in the New Testament is true. The New Testament was written by those disciples, those apostles. Chuck Colson said, people won't die for a lie. He said, you might find one or two that will, but he said during the Watergate scandal, he said there were about five of us who knew what really happened, and we all fabricated a lie to kind of cover ourselves, but said as the district attorney offered this person a, a a plea bargain, he bailed, and he he turned in the rest of us. And then another one said, well, it really wasn't me and him. It, it was really Chuck. that did it all. And he said, we couldn't even get five guys to agree to lie to keep from going to jail. But he said, these... Eleven of these disciples, they were willing to die, but rather than deny the truth that they knew to be true, that was a little extra. But I just uh, that's that's pretty interesting, I think, isn't it? So he said, uh, uh, "We told you ahead of time it's going to cost you something." I heard a man say this last week when the devil comes to young people today, he offers them. The best up front, and he tells them, "Try this; you'll like it. It'll make you feel good." Uh, uh, Drugs, alcohol, sex, all kinds of stuff. He he keeps the fine print at the very very bottom of the contract. In fact, it's so fine you'd have to have a gospel microscope to read it. And he says. I'm offering you the best. No. And then they try it, and they end up getting the fine print. When Jesus comes, and when Paul preaches, he said, I want to tell you the worst. Yeah, I want to tell you, it's going to really cost you something to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, some of you will probably die. And you won't die of a heart attack. You'll die being skinned alive. You'll die being, having hot oil poured on you. You'll die being crucified. And say, so, well, how in the world do they ever have any converts? Would that make you want to say, oh, sign me up? No, he said, but here's the upside all your sins will be forgiven you'll have God's Holy Spirit to come and live in you you'll become a brand new person and you'll be filled with joy even in suffering you'll actually be able to rejoice in the Lord even while you're suffering and then when you do die you're going to be with Jesus forever you'll see him face to face And they said, sign me up. Sign me up. No fine print. It's all right out there in the open. You want to go to heaven when you die? You want to have all your sins forgiven? You want to have the spirit of God living in you? You want to be a new creation? It's going to cost you something. If Jesus suffered, then his disciples are not better than he was. And we should not be surprised, we are though, aren't we? But We shouldn't be surprised that the mayor in Chicago announced last night that any church in Chicago that meets today will be met with serious consequences, maybe even military opposition. Should that shock us? It does shock us because we live in America. But it shouldn't shock us because the world has always hated the true gospel and true believers. And so Paul said, we kept telling you, and it has come to pass. And then he says in verse 5, for this reason, When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. He said, I was actually worried. He said, what if if all the work we did there in those few weeks, what if it all came to nothing? But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly, And you long to see us just like we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. He said, you know, were, we're going through a lot of stuff here too. But he said, you know what? Getting this good news from Timothy has made us have a party. We're so excited. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. I tell you, you just almost had to have been there. You know, it's kind of like watching somebody's home movies, you know. Say, well, you just had to have been there, you know. Well, you'd almost had to have been there to really felt what Paul has feeling this time. As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith he said we're so eager to get back to you now then he has this kind of benediction or prayer now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. What a great prayer. Now, just two or three little truths that I drew from this chapter and this background. One, Jesus has not saved us for our comfort. He has not saved us for our ease. And the prosperity gospels are false teachers. They are all false teachers. They are liars because they are not biblical at all. Paul said, when we came to you, remember, we told you. We didn't tell you you're going to get a new chariot if you give some money to Paul's missionary journey. We didn't tell you that you're going to be healthy and, and well and wealthy if you, uh, if you support our ministry. No, what we told you was, Through many afflictions, you're going to follow Jesus. It's going to cost you something. And so that's the first thing is God did not save us to make us comfortable. He saved us to make us conformable to the image of Jesus. The second thing is that God's intention for the church and for you and for me is to be making disciples. Our, our our goal is not to build big buildings. Our goal is not to to have mega churches. Our goal is not to have huge budgets. Our goal is to make disciples. And by the way, I can make some disciples, but I can't disciple all of you. I can preach to you. I can teach you. But I cannot personally disciple you. What Paul was always doing, he was taking somebody with him. He took Timothy and Silas, Luke, later a few other people, and and he discipled them. And he said to Timothy later, he said, Now, I want you to train faithful men in such a way that they can then train other men. That's what disciple making is. And over my ministry, I have tried to preach truth to everybody, but I've only had a few disciples. And Mike, over in Bulgaria, is one of my disciples. I was talking to him this last week. I told him I was going to be preaching on this passage today. And I said, when you hear me, Mike, because he watches our services over there in Bulgaria, I said, when you hear me talking about Paul and Timothy... You just know that I'm also talking about Nick and Mike, and, uh, and, and and there are a few others as well over the years. And nothing hurts a discipler any more than to have a disciple go bad. That's happened a few times too. But nothing rejoices a disciple maker any more than to see a disciple passionately loving Jesus and making disciples of other people. And that's what God has called us to do. And by the way, I just just even looking at that map up there, I just want so much to go back to Bulgaria. And every time I talk to Mike, I tell him as soon as the travel restrictions are lifted and as soon as my wife gets a little healthier, I'm going to be getting me another ticket to Bulgaria because I I miss my brothers and sisters there. And I miss that little church in Zavoy where I've ministered to those gypsy people and have seen them come to Christ. And and when when I hear that they're thriving, I know exactly what Paul felt when he got that word. From Timothy. So, the question: Who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? I'm working with two people right now as kind of a disciple, and I'm working with them. One of them is uh, probably 50, and the other one's a young person. But uh, and then I have a, a grandson that I'm discipling some, and, uh, but do you have a discipler and do you have a disciple? How old do you have to be? How old do you have to be? You say, well, I guess 40 or 50 you have to have gone through seminary or something. No. You know what? I believe Alexander could have a disciple. Cookie, I know you could have a disciple. Alex. Somebody that maybe you've led them to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've prayed with them. Or maybe you didn't. And maybe it's just a classmate, somebody you meet at school. And there won't be a bunch. You're probably not going to have 40 or 50. But if, but if you have one, and you say, you know what I want to do? Alexis, you say to your, your Christian friend that you have at school, you know what I want? I want to I teach you. What I'm, I'm being taught. I'm not going to make up some new stuff. I'm just going to share with you the things that are being shared with me. And you, you could do that. And uh, you, 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 you don't have to be old to be a disciple maker. Brianna, you can be a disciple maker. Have you a, a friend who's not a Christian or, or who is a Christian, a young Christian? And you say, I want to teach you the things God's teaching me, Grant. I know you are. You probably are discipling somebody right now, or, or I know he's been he's worked at Sky Ranch and all kinds of places, and uh, have have done some disciple making. I'm sure. I don't know if you have anybody right now that you're working with. And then Matthew, Joshua, Anna, y'all, Simon, Jackson, y'all discipling somebody. Well, you can be. And you adults thinking, man, I hope those kids get with it. No. Where are they going to learn how to make disciples? They're going to learn it from watching their church family who are making disciples. And making disciples in such a way that they can make disciples. I know I've told you this before but uh, if in 30 AD there was only one Christian in the world, of course there were more than that but if there was only one and that one Christian made a disciple so at the end of the next year there were two and then at the end of the third year there were four and at the end of the next year there were eight Then 16, then 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1,024, 2,048, 4,096. That's as far as I'll go. That would take about 12 days to have 4,096. How long would it have taken for the whole world to become a Christian from a human perspective? less than 30 years 30 years it'd take 32 years now because there's so many more people that was the that was the math of Jesus that was the master plan each one reach one and teach one to reach one to teach one To reach one, to teach one. You say, well, I just feel so insignificant. I just can't reach the world with the gospel. Okay, don't. Cynthia, just reach one. And teach that one to follow Jesus, to love Jesus. In such a way that they can reach one and teach one. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Now, here's the invitation. Will you take that seriously? Will you, will you, would you? How many of you know of somebody right now that you really would like to uh, disciple? Any, you know? Okay. Smiley. Okay. All right. Now, the ones that didn't raise their hand, Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to pray just right now and say, Lord Jesus, show me someone. Point me to someone that I can help grow, help them grow in their faith and in their understanding. And by the way, there's so many tools to do that now. You could do it by watching a, a Christian video together. You could do it by watching the Bible Project together. Reinhard and Susan sent me a, a, a link yesterday, or day before yesterday, a new video series out called Tetelestai. Tetelestai. It's on Amazon Prime, I think. It's a 10 or 11 episode series showing from Genesis 1-1 to the resurrection of Jesus. How God consistently said sinners must have a sinless substitute to die in their place. And he just showed through ten different episodes how that God just said it over and over and over again. He said it with uh, uh, God clothing Adam and Eve in coats of skin. God said it through Abraham Taking, I said it through Noah. God said it through Abraham. Taking a, there it is, Uh It'd be really, really worth you watching. I, I started, I watched an episode, and I ended up watching all eleven episodes, but almost back to back, and uh, uh, and all the way through, saying, God promised that someday a spotless lamb would be sacrificed in our our place. We can never satisfy God's justice ourselves. And it's so exciting watching it. And then you come to that last episode. John the Baptist said, look, it's God's Lamb who has come to take away the sin of the world. And then veil and the temple torn into. So you you could take a an, an unsaved friend and say, let's watch this together. Fix them dinner or something and have them over. But if they're a Christian, if they're already saved, have them over and say, let's let's watch this together and talk about it. Let me tell you what God's showing me and I want to show you what God's showing. That's disciple making. It's not a big formal thing. It's a relational thing. Now, let's just bow our heads for a minute. I want to ask you to I want to ask you to pray. I mean, really pray. I mean ask God. Jesus said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of me, and the generous God will give to you richly. And he said talking about wisdom there, but I believe also be true for a soul, a person. Would you just pray right now? Pray something like this. You put it in your own words, But Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for those who have taught me. Help me to be a teacher of others. I'm thankful for those who have discipled me. May have been a parent, may have been a pastor, a youth pastor, a friend. Lord Jesus, help me Know who you want me to disciple. Show me. Show me. Give me the name. Give me the face. Show me the person that I can disciple. And uh, will you pray that right now. And if you already know somebody, then, then pray something like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for showing me Fred or Tom or Susan or whoever it is show me the way open the door open their heart to be willing and show me what steps to take to be a disciple maker Heavenly Father I thank you so much for the example of the Apostle Paul and Timothy young Timothy and what a blessing he was. And uh, maybe had he not been discipled by the Apostle Paul he would have just grown there in Lystra and we never heard of him. But because of a discipler he became a disciple and a disciple maker. I ask you right now Lord Jesus, and I pray this for my own self. I I'm certainly willing to take on one or two more and I ask you to show me who and how to make disciples. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us, and let us get to know you. Have a great week, and may the Lord richly bless you.